following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. So let's uh, prepare our hearts now as we come to the word in our worship service today. Father, we do thank you for the glories that we've spoken about, your holiness. We fail to even comprehend what that means. And the wonder of, of Christ alone and being a part of your families through the saving grace that you've extended to us. We thank you today. We worship you for that. And we pray now that as we open your word, you would continue that work of illumination in our hearts and minds. And Father, would we be receptive people to hear what you want to say to us today as we look at this letter that so clearly lifts up the supremacy of Jesus Christ in our life and his sufficiency for all of our needs. So bless Jordan, fill him with your spirit, give him words to speak, freedom and joy as he shares with us, and may we receive it in the same way. We pray for our children as well, Lord, for the teaching ministry that is taking place there, that the word of God would come home to their hearts. And we ask this for all believers that are gathered this morning. As your word goes out, Lord, would you make us your people, transform us, and may we go out as your light and witness. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, open up your Bible uh, to Colossians chapter 2. <clears throat> if you don't have a Bible... Uh, there's a Bible in front of you. Uh, you can go ahead and have that one. If you don't own a Bible, that is for you, um, our gift to you today. We are in uh, Colossians 2. We're looking at um, the first five verses, and I'll, I'll, I'll bring you up to speed here in a little bit, give you a second to get there. Uh, John, your wife, Christine, said yesterday to me, I love being a member of Community Gospel Church, and I affirmed it. I said, amen, I do too. This is, these are good people, right? You guys, look at the, your neighbor say, hey, you're not too bad. <laughs> and then your second choice was the person on your other side. Say, oops. <laughs> I grew up in the church, and I always wondered when it said, turn to your neighbor, what do you do with the one that you didn't turn to, right? Like, <clears throat> that gets weird on a million levels. We are in Colossians. We've been talking about this book, uh, and, and John is right. This is a beautiful book written by the Apostle Paul. I know we're in Colossians 2, but let's go back to chapter 1, and let's get a little bit of a running start here. Paul is our author. Paul uh, saved, transformed um, by the Holy Spirit on the road to Damascus in the book of Acts. And Paul is uh, an apostle of Christ Jesus. He's sent on mission to declare this gospel that Christ came, died, rose again on the third day, ascended to the right hand of God, and offers a relationship with God through faith in Him. 
and trust. And Paul receives that, that faith, that free gift of salvation. And he's, he's sent with this message of the gospel to uh, primarily the Gentiles. And we see when Paul goes and ministers, he starts with his brothers because he's Jewish. And then he moves to the Gentiles because the Jews reject Jesus. And so um, Paul is, is not alone in chapter 1. He is with Timothy a brother in the Lord that he brought to the Lord, um, shared the gospel with him, and Timothy trusts Christ. And he's writing to the faithful, and that is the saints that are gathered at this place called Colossae, and that's just the region. So if you look at the letters in the New Testament, you'll see like Colossians and Ephesians and Galatians. Those are written to churches in that area, in that general area. So you have the uh, region of Galatia, you have the region of Philippi, you have those regions. And um, I don't know if you know this or not, but if you have an actual Bible, there's maps in the back, and you can actually see it. Those are what those maps are for, right? They're not just there for your own personal enjoyment or to write pictures on if you're in fourth or fifth grade. But uh, Paul writes and he thanks the Lord for the church at Colossae. He's, he's very much has this pastor heart. He loves these people and he is in prison for the gospel like normal. <laughs> he's always finding himself, uh, finding himself in jail because of, of what he is doing for the gospel. I want to highlight a couple of verses in chapter 1, and that is uh, verse 9. He says, he's asking that these people may be filled with the knowledge of the will of God, that they may be spiritually wise and understanding, that they may walk in a manner that is worthy of the Lord, that they be able to please God, bear fruit in every good and, and pleasing work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul understands that these people in Colossae are kind of like children. And as children, they have a hard time walking. You ever seen a kid try to learn to walk? It is by far the most comedic thing I've ever seen in my life because their heads are bigger than their bodies. And they just, you know, gravitational force takes over and they just... And then they look at you like, what happened? And you're like, try again, because that was funny. And... You who aren't laughing, I know you. You laugh at people that fall down all the time. I've seen it happen and transpire in our parking lot when the ice happens, right? People fall. You laugh first, then help. That's the good Christian way. <clears throat> and so Paul is writing to these, these really infants in the faith, and he wants them to learn how to walk. So this might be the most practical sermon that I have ever preached because we're going to talk about how to walk well in our relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ. In Colossians, Paul commands the believers to walk by faith. And he says, in order to do that, you have to be firmly established in Christ. Every action that you have, every thought that you think, needs to be focused on the Lord. Every single day, you're going to go out and you're going to essentially risk it all for the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a believer, you no longer live, but it is Christ who lives in you. And so we walk in our relationship with God. It starts in the morning, it goes to the evening, and all things should be done for the glory of God. And let me tell you something, it is the most frightfully, it is the most frightening thing, it's the most rewardingly frustrating thing in the whole entire world. But we realize that this is where we progress. When we do things that honor and give glory to God. So today is kind of like evaluation day. I'm going to ask you to take inventory of your life. How are you living in regards to a relationship with Christ? And what can you change so that you can mature in your relationship with the Lord? So Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, evaluating your walk with Christ, starting in verse 1. 
I want you to know, brothers and sisters, Paul writes to the church of Colossae, how great a struggle I have for you. This is Paul being concerned for his congregation. I also am not just concerned for you, but I'm also concerned for those in the whole entire region of Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face. What Paul is saying here is, I'm concerned, first and foremost, as a pastor, regarding your prayer life. Pastor Jordan, where did you get prayer out of that first verse? It doesn't even talk about prayer. How did you get prayer from Colossians chapter 2, verse 1? In the Bible and in Bible study, verse goes to chapter, chapter goes to book, book goes to genre, genre goes to testament, testament goes to the entire Bible. Let me say it again. It's like a magician. I just performed a trick. You're like, say that again? Verse goes to chapter, chapter goes to book. So Colossians chapter 2, verse 1 ties into Colossians chapter 2, which ties into the book of Colossians. The book of Colossians is pastoral letters written to churches on how they are to conduct themselves. So we call this the epistles or the pastoral letters of the church. Then that goes to the New Testament, which is a new covenant that God has given to us through faith in Christ, which goes into the entire Bible. So the entire Bible is important and how you study it is important as well. And in Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, it ties into Colossians chapter 1, verse 3. Thank God that's right next door to where you're already at. Colossians chapter 1, verse 3 says, We always thank God, the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. The word struggle ties into prayer. Paul is saying that he has prayed for the church in Colossae. Now, I expounded on this just a little bit ago, and you can go back online and, and revisit that sermon on Colossians chapter 1, specifically verse 3 through verse 8. And Paul wants the Colossians, as I want you to know as a pastor, how great a struggle that we have for you. It's not a struggle against God, but it is an intense effort that we pray for you daily. We pray for you constantly. We pray not only for you, we pray for other churches like Paul did, those at Laodicea, others believers that he had not met. Paul has a firm foundation established in Christ and that has extended over to his love for fellow believers. He wants them to have the same gospel that he has. He wants them to mature in the way that he has. So he extends it to all believers as it should be with us. And Paul knows that heresy is spreading in the churches all throughout this licious valley. And for all of this, Paul struggles in prayer. Why? Why is prayer such a big struggle? Well, you struggle with prayer, and I struggle with prayer, so we're going to get to that in just a second. But Paul struggles in prayer for a specific reason. If you remember, Paul is in jail, and he does not have the freedom to just go visit this church as a matter of fact, he is chained to a Roman citizen in Acts chapter 28, verse 30. We learned that. Can you imagine being chained to the apostle Paul? Wouldn't that be just the worst? Or maybe be the best. You get saved, right? But here, Paul is essentially in chains to a Roman soldier for the gospel, and he cannot get to the church. And so he realizes the only weapon that he has at his disposal is to struggle in prayer for the church. And so Paul does that. He engages in prayer. He says, I struggle for you. Circle that word struggle. It's a really interesting word in the Greek. New Testament's written in the Greek, Old Testament, and Hebrew. The word struggle pictures an athlete exerting every ounce of energy that he or she has in the struggle of a physical contest. It's the laboring. It's the wrestling. 
Think about it like this. In Mark chapter 14, verse 32, Paul is saying the same struggle he has in regards for the church is how Jesus had the same struggle for his followers when he started to pray in the garden. He struggled in prayer. Philip Brooks said it like this. He said, if a man is man and God is God, to live without prayer is not merely an awful thing. It is infinitely a foolish thing. It is foolish when God's people fail to pray. What did Jesus tell the disciples? Stay up and pray. He constantly wants people to pray. And so we look at Jesus and we say, well, how do you do that? Well, thank God that he teaches us how to pray. And we'll get there in just a second. I know, cliffhanger, right? Two questions. One, how do I pray? And two, do my prayers matter? I think people are more concerned about the second one than the first one. We want to know if God hears our prayers. And Colossians chapter 2 encourages us to keep on keeping on, right? Especially in prayer. For the day will come when we will see the faces that we prayed for and finally see and be able to celebrate that, yes, God truly did work behind the scenes. Yes, God truly did amazing things. The apostle Paul's prayer in Colossians 2 is still coming to fruition today in the hearts of believers gathered here. So let me tell you just what a solid prayer life looks like. When should you pray? I told you, it's going to be the most tangible sermon ever. (laughs) You should pray three times a day minimum. When? Morning, afternoon, and evening. Where did you get that from? Jesus. (laughs) Easy. Study the Gospels. The man is always in prayer. I also think you should pray over your food. Because if I know the Lord like I know the Lord, he loves when you bow your head and you smell the food and are not able to eat it. It's just his way of kind of looking at you being like, how's that working out? It's going to be good, right? Yep, praise the Lord. Well, if I pray in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening, what does that look like? Well, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 through 13, essentially gives us an outline of what it looks like to pray. That P-R-A-Y model of prayer is really fascinating. P means praise. So you praise the Lord. R is a repentance of sin that you know and that you don't know. Asking for yourself and for others, and then yielding to the scripture that you are about ready to read. I can make a hard case that you should have a prayer life before you do anything else in the morning. The first stop in your life is to wake up, praise the Lord for another day to live, repent of the sins that you've done even before your foot has hit the floor, ask him for help in the day, and yield to every word that you're about to read in his beautiful book. Every single day, I follow a prayer map. A verse to ponder, a praise, a confession. I pray for you. I pray for my family. I pray for myself. I pray for concerns. And then I say amen. One of our uh, deacons told me one time, he doesn't say amen in the morning. He waits until the evening to say amen because then the prayer has concluded. So he starts in the morning with Heavenly Father and ends in the evening with amen. I like that. Carl Henry said it like this. He said, whoever only speaks of God, but never or seldom speaks to God, easily leashes the body and soul to idols. The Christian thus places his whole future in jeopardy by a stunted prayer life. I am not good if I do not pray. I am not okay if I do not spend time in prayer. We send out an email every single Sunday after the sermon at 1 o'clock p.m. And in that is a little resource I would highly recommend. It's called Be Thou My Vision. It is a prayer book that walks through just what I told you. 
I would highly recommend it. Worth the 20, 30 bucks, whatever it is on Amazon. How's your prayer life? Paul, Colossians chapter 2, wants you to know how great of a struggle he has for you in prayer, and he wants you to do the same. He wants us to pray and to plead to the Lord. Look at verse 2. I pray that your hearts, now he's speaking to the fellowship. He was talking individually, and then he moves to kind of like the corporate worship gathering. I pray that your hearts may be encouraged, that you may be knit together in love, that you may be able to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ, in whom are all the hidden and measures of wisdom and knowledge. Got a little ahead of myself there. What is he saying? He's saying, how's your Christian fellowship? We believe that the fellowship is important. We believe that in-person fellowship is important. If you're listening online, come on in. Paul's purpose for this prayer was so that believers, the church, the Christian fellowship would be encouraged and knit together in love. So let's ask two questions in regards to Christian fellowship. Number one, do you find that your heart is encouraged when you're here? Man, I hope so. That's like my prayer as a pastor. I would pray that when you're in this place and you're surrounded by fellow believers, that your heart is encouraged. Now, the word heart is interesting. Circle that. It is not uh, the physical organ. In the New Testament, a heart was different. The heart, whenever it is brought up, they're saying the center of human life, your inner person, the thing that controlled your intellect, your emotion, and your will. No outward obedience is of slightest value unless your heart turns to the Lord. So in other words, if your heart is not in the right place, the center of everything in your life, if your heart is not focused on the Lord, then it can't be in the right place. Paul's prayer was that the believer's hearts were encouraged, not individually, but together, so that when they left the gathering, they were able to conquer difficult situations with confidence. So you're here, right, this morning for ammunition. You're loading your spiritual revolver. Isn't that nice? I've equipped you with that. Isn't that great? When you sing, you're equipped with, like, this spiritual gun. Can you imagine having a confrontation tomorrow at work, and you're just like, what? <laughs> like, what are you doing? Don't worry about it. I'm just about to drop a truth bomb on you. William Barclay says it like this. He says, there is a Greek regiment. And he tells this big story, and I'm just summarizing it for you here in this slide. But he essentially said this Greek regiment lost heart. General sent in. He's the leader. He essentially talks to the regiment. He encourages them. They're so dispirited. They feel like they're going to lose. And all of a sudden, they become fit again. Pick any male masculine movie that is out today. This is exactly what I'm talking about. But the best part is the end of his quote. He says that here... Paul's prayer is that the church may be filled every time they gather with the courage to cope with any situation based off what they've been given in God's word. So your heart is encouraged by your, horizontal, or your vertical relationship with God and your horizontal relationship with one another. Now, look at the second part of verse 2. He says, because we are knitted together in love. To be knitted together in love means believers are unified in the gospel. So we're constantly going back to the core, who we are in Christ. 
Christ is the head of the church. He is the glue that holds us all together. We're one spirit, local and global. Local and global. And in Christ's love, his unconditional, sacrificial love, we find in the gathering and fellowship of the saints who God is, what God is able to show us, and how God enables us to conquer anything. We realize that we are not one, but we are many. I told somebody this the other day. They said, how did Oktoberfest go? I said, we're not here to just take part. We're here to take over. And they're like, you, they're like you're serious. I'm like, 100% serious. I was like, I want every single person here to be present here. That is my whole goal. And that should be your goal, right? Epi Meyer says that we are to imitate God's love in Christ because that was the love of Jesus. Whether we are out in the world or whether we find ourselves within this gathering. He said it is like the scent of freshly mowed grass. This is a must. This has to be our model. Every time we sacrifice ourselves to another for the sake of the love of God, which is the gospel, we find the meaning of the sacrifice of Calvary. So let me ask you a question. Are we fused together as a body? You're stuck with me and I'm stuck with you. Isn't that good? Some people that's extremely encouraging. Some people they are like, I don't know about that. <laughs> and I would say that we have to work on eliminating divisions that separate us. We have to strive hard to come together. Um, two weeks ago, somebody came to me and they said, what is the best part about community gospel? I said, I have people who participate at community gospel who do not get along and still choose to worship in the same place. I said, that shows the power of the church. That even though our personalities are different, our hearts can be encouraged together and we can be knit together in love because of the gospel that we have received. Divisions come and they will come. And let me just tell you something, church, you're doing really good at this. And so we have to strive and pray that in our gathering we do not take our eyes off Christ. That's what Paul says in Colossians. He wants us to focus on Christ and not ourselves, to stop allowing our own selfish desires to manifest in our heart and let the love of God be known. We let divisions go. We are great grace getters and not great grace givers. And we strive to eliminate any sort of division that comes up immediately because our fellowship is dear to us. If we learned anything two years ago, it is that our fellowship means more to us than we ever could have imagined. This is important. Now, why? Paul, why is that so important? I mean, you look at that in verse 2. It says, I want your hearts to be encouraged. I want you to be knit together in love. Well, in chapter 3, he's going to start to talk about heresy. And what he's saying is, he's saying that people in the outside world are watching you. So if you're in your workplace and you're talking bad about a person who's standing next to you, they're wondering if church is really important. They're wondering if the fellowship is really important. If you're standing with somebody and you're having a conversation like, man, church was so awful on Sunday, why would they want to participate in what you have? Oftentimes people don't want to participate in what you have because they don't see it manifested in your own life. Whew, that's challenging. All right, second part of verse 2. And the knowledge of God's mystery, which is in Christ. Three, in whom are all hidden, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Now remember, he's talking to the whole entire church here. For though I am absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit. I rejoice to see your good order. I love that. 
and the firmness of your faith in Christ. The third question that Paul brings up is how is your study and implementation? Pastor Jordan, where did you get this from? Like, I don't, I'm not seeing this stuff here. Look at verse 3. Very interesting. In whom, he's talking about Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Paul is a scholar. He knows the Old Testament like the back of his hand. It is believed that Paul spoke five different languages. And when he talks about wisdom and knowledge, he's saying that you can get that from God by going to him. He's saying solid prayer is good. Fellowship with the saints is good. But listen, believer, you need to be able to reach all the riches of the full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery through the study and implementation of his word. Look at verse 3. It says, all true knowledge. Circle that. The word knowledge there means understanding of truth. That's study. That's what we're doing here today. We're studying God's word. That's knowledge. Study does not stand alone, but it moves into wisdom. Circle that word. Wisdom is the ability to apply what truth has been learned. That's called application. You don't really know something unless you live that something out. Clean your room. Okay. Why didn't you clean your room? I don't know. Why is your room still dirty? Do you know you're supposed to clean your room? Yes, that's knowledge. You cleaned your room. That's wisdom applied. Praise the Lord. Amen. Parents, anyone? Just me? Okay. In Christ, Paul says, he is the word of God, John chapter 1. Don't forget, Paul is telling us that he knows the value of studying God's word and putting into practice because he's doing it here. For it is there we find both the assurance of our faith and a deeper, more mature understanding of it. Paul says this once was a mystery, but now it has been made known. This is what Old Testament people longed and hungered after, that the Messiah would come and that we would know him in a way that we would live it out in our everyday life. That has been made known or manifested to us in Christ. Now, really want to focus in on this word mystery. It's really kind of a fascinating word. Mystery in the classic Greek conveyed the idea of rites called mystic religions. We're going to talk about these in a couple weeks. There's these Greco Roman cults that are kind of popping up, right? They're like kiosks in the mall. They're annoying. <clears throat> these heresies said that there were religious secrets that only a select few people could be initiated into. Considering there are so many heresies against the church, Paul stresses the need for the Colossians to have a true knowledge of God's mystery, that's Jesus, and have a settled conviction about Christ's deity and sufficiency. Let me take this one step further. J. Vernon McGee called this being under full sail. Essentially what he said is, he said, when you study God's word and you apply it accordingly, you are under full sail. The idea here is that believers should be moving along spiritually in motion for the Lord through studying God's word, putting it into practice. There's never a time in the Bible where we see that we just accumulate knowledge. As a matter of fact, Proverbs speaks against it. Proverbs says that you just, you just become puffed up with knowledge, right? You think you're better than you really truly are. Having a proper understanding of who God is, biblical study through his word, and what his purpose is, putting biblical truth in action for us, is like putting the sails up so that the Holy Spirit 
who is called our breath and wind in the scriptures, can move us or blow us along. He enables us to live a supernatural life as a believer. It is a balance between study, implementation, study, implementation. Read the word, put the word into practice. Read the word, put the word into practice. It's walking. One foot, then the other. One foot, then the other. What Paul is saying here is it's a balance between study, implementation of that study that causes us to ask, are our sails really up or are our defenses down? Warren Wearsby says it like this. I love this quote. <clears throat> he says, I've often counseled believers who have told me they lacked assurance of their salvation. The quote continues, actually. There's a lot of it in there where he talks about how he counsels people and stuff like that. But anyway, he says they have been neglecting God's word. He goes back to the fact that the majority of people have problems in this life because they've neglected their prayer life, fellowship with other believers, and the reading and implementation of God's word. That's where 90% of pretty much all problems come from. There's an old science building. It hung a sign. It said, next to knowing is knowing where to find out. And I will be the first to say that I don't know everything, but I know where to find it. I know somebody who knows the answer. And if you know Jesus, so do you. Isn't it amazing that we have the access to so much information, yet we are so absent from being in that information? If Christ has been made unto us wisdom, then my question is, why do we shelf it? Why do we not implement it? And I'm just as guilty. We need to daily rest in all of the treasures and wisdom that Paul tells the Colossian church to participate in. And so I ask, just like I said, this is a very practical message. What does a solid Bible study life look like? Here's, here's this. I've been struggling with this for years. I've always wondered, what does a healthy plate look like? Like, if you had a scorecard, how would you know if you're doing, like, a good job? I always wonder that. I ask God that all the time. I'm like, God, am I doing okay? He's like, I don't know. You tell me. I'm like, that's just so much freedom. I need something more concrete. Give me some boundaries, right? Let me have, like, a little checklist. And you're probably looking at this. You're like, this is legalistic, Jordan. I don't care. Sometimes legalism promotes discipline, and discipline is needed in your life. So stay with me. I think every Sunday you should be at church, 100%. I think you should hear the preaching and teaching of God's word. Not because I'm a great speaker, <laughs> far from it, but because God's word is taught in this place. We are lacking this in the local church. There are people who are not preaching God's word. I just heard a pastor say the other day he's preaching a book on the New York Times bestseller list. I said, that's stupid. I said, that's not the word of God. We gather to hear the word of God preached, sung, taught, all that stuff, to put into practice, to load up our spiritual pistols so that we can go out and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. So here, I, like, I have to come to church. I just, I, I don't do good if I'm not here. And obviously, you don't either, because if I wasn't here, that'd be weird. All right, <clears throat> moving past Sunday. I think every morning, you should have a 365-day Bible reading plan. You should constantly be in the Word. Think about this. If you had 20 more years to live on planet Earth, and you read the Bible cover to cover from January to December, you would have read the Bible 20 times. Do you think you'd be well equipped? I think you would. I didn't say you had to journal through it. I just think you just need to be in it. Well, Pastor Jordan, I've tried that. I got to Leviticus and I failed. I didn't understand it. I get it. This is why we read it over and over and over again. When I first started this many years ago, there were some things that I just didn't understand. And God just told me, whispered in my ear, and he didn't talk to me verbally. 
It's just that little nudge from the Holy Spirit to keep going. You don't have to know it all. Sanctification is a process. We talked to a guy the other day at a wedding. I asked him when he came to know the Lord. I said, when did you come to know the Lord? He said, you know, like 6 and then 15 and then 22. He's like, I feel like I'm still coming to know the Lord. And I looked right at him. I said, that's sanctification. You come to know Christ through declaration of faith. I believe I'm a sinner. I want a relationship with God through faith in Christ. And then he says, okay, just walk with me daily. I know Bethany better than I knew her 15 years ago because there's daily step-by-step actions that we take together to get to know each other more. Yearly Bible reading. Where do I find that? Google it. There is a million of them out there. Every week, I would say moving past this, you need some sort of small group Bible study. You need some sort of place where there's a smaller gathering of believers who are just doing the hard stuff with you. Not talking about the weather. I almost said do life. That's stupid. I don't like that word. You, you need somebody who's, who's looking at you and saying, hey, where are you at in your relationship with Jesus Christ? You need a small group of believers. Some of you guys are in BSF. Keep going. Some of you guys have men's Bible studies. Keep going. Some of you guys have women's Bible studies. Keep going. That, there just needs to be a pocket in your week where you're spending time with people. And then every, every month, I think you should have one book going. I think you should read 12 books a year. People look at me all the time and they say, I'm not a reader. I get that. I wasn't either for the longest time. But, but let me just, let me just, add, let me just maybe turn on a light bulb for you. God did not record an audio Bible. God did not give us a CD. God wrote us a book. And if he wrote us a book, do you think he wants us to read it? I think about this all the time. The more I read, the more I discipline myself to understand. And even though you say you're not a reader, you need to tell yourself I'm not a reader yet. But I'll get there. It is not hard at the end of the day to open up a book that is a scripture-based book that talks about the Bible, talks about how to follow the Lord, all of those things. Every single night, read a chapter, read half a chapter. You'd be amazed at how much you can chip away at it. Well, Jordan, I don't know what books to read. For the past five years, I've had Pastor Jordan's book club. It's on Facebook. You can, you can go ahead and just search that bar and just deep dive. I give you every single month a book to read. I get nothing from that. It is just there for you. This is what I'm reading. Hey, read along with me. One time I had somebody come up and they go, did you really read that book? And I had to be honest. I was like, I read the audio book. <laughs> and that's okay. How are we doing here? Keep this slide up for just a second. Is this, is this you? Like, is this where you're at? Are you at a point where you're like, I need to make this a priority, this gathering, this fellowship of the saints. Maybe I need to spend more time in God's word just chipping away. I'm not saying this has to be hours upon end. You'll be amazed at how much we can stack things up. Somebody said it like this. They said, life with Christ is an endless hope. Without him is a hopeless end. Look at verse 4 and 5 as Paul closes up this beautiful passage. I know I already read it, but I'm going to read it to you again. I say this in order that no one may delude you. The reason that we struggle with sin is because we do not spend the right time in the right places. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. 
For though I'm absent in the body, I am with you in spirit. I am praying for you. I am studying with you. I am fellowshipping with you, rejoicing to see one day that we will be together and your good order and the fact that you are firm in your faith with Christ. Paul says only this full knowledge, this wisdom of Christ can keep believers from being deceived. Even though Paul was absent from the Colossians, he delights in how orderly they are. He says the same thing to the Corinthians in chapter 14. He says, you are firm and steadfast and solid, and I'm seeing it manifested in your life. So how can we evaluate our walk with God and calculate if we're really truly spiritually mature? Well, it would be the disciplines of the faith. Daily prayer, spending time with believers, Bible study, application, sermon in a sentence. If we claim a true faith, if we really truly believe that we have been washed by the blood of the Lamb and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is in us, then our transformed hearts and minds will be both fully persuaded, fully convinced, and fully convicted that our words and actions must be daily immersed and surrendered to Christ in the discipline of prayer, fellowship with God's people, and time, quality time in his word. How are you doing? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the Apostle Paul. He shows us so clearly that anybody can come to a relationship with you. I thank you for all of the saints in the Bible, those in church history that point us to the fact that we once were lost, but now we're found. We sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound. We thank you for our relationship that we have with you. And God, we understand Paul's words when he says he has such a great struggle because we struggle too. We struggle in talking to you. We struggle in praying for our brothers and sisters in Christ. We struggle because there's all of these distractions in our world that call and command our attention. And one of the hardest things is we just have such a struggle with saying no to these things. So I would ask that you would help us to say no to the things of the world and start saying yes to the things that you want us to say yes to. In time that we spend in prayer for ourselves and for others, in our fellowship here in this place, In our time in your word, I pray that myself as well as the congregation who is gathered here would be encouraged. Help them to see as they stack bricks, they are building such a beautiful building. Help them to know that we are not alone in this fight, that we are knit together in love because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us, God, to realize whenever we participate in one of these things, we are striving to reach the riches of full assurance of understanding. We are striving to mature more in our relationship with you. God, we understand that this is a mystery. We get it. We know that we don't get all of it, but little by little, step by step, you help us along the way. And when we stumble, God, we would ask that you would surround us with your heavenly armies. When we wrestle and when we toil, when people come to try to delude us with these plausible arguments, we pray That with your help, we are able to defend the gospel that we have received. We pray that it would not be our own opinions, but it would be your words that we speak back to those people. And when we're not here, God, help us to realize that what we do in the week 
dramatically affects the worship on Sunday. Help us to do our part to realize that we have the ability to fellowship with you not just here this morning, but in every minute of every day. Help us to rejoice, to see that you are good. And help us to continue to remain firm in our faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In all of this, we pray. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church Podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.